Since the beginning of this year, we have been working our way through the epistle to Timothy, 1 Timothy, and we're going to bring that series to a conclusion this morning by looking at uh, most of chapter 6, uh, chapter 6, verses 2b through the end of the chapter. If you'd like to follow along in your pew Bibles, which I encourage many of you to do, uh, it's on one page, found on page 1,180. Having encouraged Timothy to lead well and to focus on different groups honoring them, he concludes his book by saying, Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable life, whom no one has ever seen nor can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O oh, Timothy, Guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irrelevant, irreverent babble and contradictions of what is called falsely knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. 
Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In verse 12, speaking to Timothy, Paul reminds him of the good confession that he made in the presence of many. Now, we don't know if that happened at Timothy's baptism or at his ordination, but when I heard that phrase and started to meditate on it, I couldn't help but draw parallels to this morning. Because this morning, Jake and Melissa and Shane stood among you and made a good confession, a profession of their faith in Jesus Christ. And so I thought that the words here that in reminding that of, Paul gives to Timothy as a charge, as an encouragement, could be a great way to charge and encourage you in your living out of the profession that you just made. As believers, as members of the church, what do we live for? Where is our priority? And what does it mean now to go forth and to continue on in the years to come as believers in Christ? And in fact, that fits extremely well for all of us in the way that we have been approaching this book of 1 Timothy. In comparison to many other books, this isn't a book written to try to convince people of the faith or to teach them the foundations of the faith. But Timothy, as we have said over and over again, is a book that encourages someone that already believes. And I think that becomes especially apparent in this last chapter of the book. And so for all of us, this is going to be a charge and encouragement to remember how to live out our faith. The text starts with a negative example. Examples to be avoided, it talks about uh, different doctrine that is being taught by some. Doctrine that doesn't compound or, or fit with the words of Jesus and that doesn't lead to godliness. Instead, this teachings, these false teachings that had been referred to all the way back in chapter 1 and now reminded of again in chapter 6 are something that brings about uh, divisions and, and uh, dissension, demonstrating a broken and false character of these fallen teachers. And the failings are listed in verses 4 and 5. They have the deadly combination of being both arrogant and yet also ignorant. They crave controversy and quarrels. Their arguments divide and destroy rather than edify and build people up. And the fruit of their teachings are envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. All of that is the opposite of what the gospel is supposed to be producing in people. Paul also says that they imagine that godliness is a means to gain. Now, when he mentions that in, in what is this, verse 6 here, I believe, uh, he's, that he's saying that, referring to financial gain in this particular part, they thought that their leadership position in the church was a way toward personal prosperity. And in mentioning money, once again, he focuses on that topic and decides to develop that a little bit in two different sections. It becomes a pretty prominent theme in this last chapter. He does it in two different ways. First of all, in verses 6 through 10, Paul addresses those who, as he says in verse 9, desire to be rich. These are probably the kind of people that we are very familiar with. When they think about, well, where is... 
what are we living for? Where do we find hope and comfort in life? What motivates us from day to day? Their answer is getting money. And whether they have only a tiny little bit of it and are poor, or whether they have a lot, they're never content with what they do have. That is what drives them all of the time. They just want more. I think of those times when the lottery jackpots starts getting really high and it gets on the news and they interview people and say, if you happen to win, what are you going to do with these hundreds of millions of dollars? So often the answer is self-indulgence. I'm going to buy lots of houses. I'm going to hold lots of parties. I'm going to buy fancy cars and life will be good. Those types of people, Paul says, need to be careful of the temptations and the snares that come along with money. That that desire has led so many people down a path toward destruction and ruin. And haven't we seen that? He ends with those familiar words in verse 10. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now we have to read that sentence carefully. It's not money is evil. Money has its place. And we're going to see that money has a privilege that blesses others. But it can be the root of all kinds of problems. And that warning, I think about the ways that we've seen families get destroyed over arguments of money. Friendships that had been long enduring get divided and forever ruined because of a bad business interaction. I think of all of the unethical business practices that people cut corners and do things that are shady just so that they can line their pockets a little bit more or how people have used others, caring nothing for them as an individual, but only abusing them so that they can raise more money. Be careful chasing money, scripture warns, because instead of finding joy and meaning and comfort in life, so many have found ruin instead. In addition to addressing those that desire to be rich, verses 17 to 19 also addresses the rich in this present age. And again, he doesn't say that there's anything wrong with being rich. In fact, the rich are in a position where they can bless many other people. But he does warn them once again to be careful. To be careful not to set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but set your hopes on God. The problem with riches is that they are always temporary. As one commentary said, there have been a whole lot of people who went to bed one day rich and woke up the next morning poor. Whether it be a bad financial decision, the crash of a market, weather circumstances, our wealth can so quickly evaporate. And if that is where you put your hope, your hope evaporates along with it. Instead, the hope are charged to put their hope, the rich are charged to put their hope in the God who doesn't fail, who is always there, who blesses you with everything that you need in this life. So let's go back and kind of take stock of where we are. In encouraging Timothy, Paul has started now by warning him against false teachers and against the allure of pursuing finances as your primary hope in life. 
But having looked at the negative now, he's going to focus on the positive. And that primarily comes in verses 11 through 16, where Paul starts by referring to Timothy as, O man of God. And in that part, we see five different commands. And that's what we're going to spend our time looking at. And each one of those commands briefly as the charge that he gives to Timothy positively in living out this faith. First one comes in verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Having started in the negative, what he does is say, you got to stay away from that, Timothy. It is all around you, but run away from it like you run away from garbage that, you cannot, that will not sustain you. Now, of course, in the context, he is referring to these things as those false teachers and as those that have the allure of money, those who delight in arguing and meaningless conversations, who are arrogant and ignorant in their teachings. He says, stay away from those because the fruit of what that leads to is no good. And as he points out these things, we can think of many other things that would fall into that category. All of those things that are constantly pulling for our hearts, for our attention that we know are no good and will only destroy our relationship with the Lord. And the challenge is flee, get away, avoid them at all costs. Don't even go into those areas where you know temptations will come. It is not worth it. Stay away from those things that will not bring life. That's the first command in this text. But if you're going to run away from those things, the second command in verse 11 is to run toward good things. It says, pursue, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Earlier, we described the, the negative things of the false teachers as the fruit of their teachings, the, the bad things that is born from what they have been talking about. And here, when he talks about pursuing good things, he echoes what a lot of the same words that we call, as said in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. And while it is true that, as in Galatians 5 points out, that the things of the Spirit are given to us and that he produces in us, 1 Timothy 6 is also correct to point out that we need to actively pursue these things. What should we be about? Where should our time and our focus be given? Toward becoming more righteous, more godly people. We should be deepening our faith in the Lord and showing his love to all that we can in a dedicated and a gentle way. Shane, Jake, and Melissa... And everyone else. Is that what we are pursuing in our lives? Now that's not a question that we answer when we're sitting here in church this morning. Yes, you made the choice to be here this morning. And that is a part of the pursuit of righteousness. But that question will truly be answered when you have to make a decision. Do I go this way or do I go that way? Do I give my time, my attention, my energy to this negative thing that is only going to rot my mind and my time and my energy? Or do I pour myself into studying God's word, spending time in prayer, 
encouraging each other, and standing against temptations. I promise you that as you've made this commitment and you start to tell people that this is what you did this Sunday, there will be those out there in the world that say, what were you doing? And that are going to try to say, well, don't worry about that. You shouldn't change your life at all. But the call is to pursue what is right, what is good in this life. The third command in verse 12 is to fight the good fight of the faith. There's a bunch of discussion in the commentaries when he's talking about fighting here. What, what is that metaphor referring to? Is this like a, a military battle? Is this a war that we are engaging in? Or is this primarily an athletic illustration metaphor where we are fighting against an opponent? And quite frankly, whichever one you choose, I think the point is basically the same. As we seek to live out our faith, there is an enemy, an opponent, that is seeking to destroy us and to defeat us, to beat us down and not allow us to continue. And therefore, the image of fighting for what is good and what is right is appropriate. There is a world out there that is seeking to destroy everything good about God's word, about how he created us to be and what he's called us to be in Jesus Christ. In a fight against those temptations that are pulling against us is a battle. But what is more is we don't need that world to pull us. We know the fight that is engaged in our own hearts. When we are drawn again toward those things that are not of the faith, that are not of God. And we have to fight to stay true. And that's the call. To depend on the power of the Holy Spirit that has been given to us, poured out on us believers in Pentecost. To lean into the teachings of the word where God reveals what is good and what is right and what is true. And encourage one another as a body of believers to be true and to stand firm. And that is a fight. It is a battle. It is a constant and a contest that you are engaged in every day. So engage that fight. The fourth commandment, also in verse 12. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession. Here's that verse I started with at the very beginning. That good confession is the confession of what Jesus Christ has done for us. It is the acknowledgement that Jesus was God's eternal son come to this earth taking on flesh. And that when he lived, he lived as the perfect and righteous human being that he was, never sinning himself. And when he died, being nailed to that cross, his death was the complete and sufficient sacrifice for our sins. That in the death he died, he bore all of the wrath of God against the sins and the punishment that we had earned so that we might be forgiven. That is the good confession of the faith. But when it says to take hold of the eternal life, does that mean that, that you got to save yourself? 
You've got to earn your way into heaven because of what still needs to be done? No. When it says take hold, it is not saying that you have to earn that. It's saying take advantage of what is yours. Jesus has done all of the work necessary, and your eternal life has already started now. So live like that. Throughout this text, there is the encouragement in many ways to think with an eternal mindset. It can especially be seen in the discussions about money. Recognizing that from an eternal perspective, we came with nothing in this world and we cannot take anything out of this, that riches are just in this present age. They are all temporary. And we are encouraged to think about money, but every area of life from an eternal perspective. If I am already living that eternal life, well, then I'm much less apt to give in to the temporary whims of my desire, to things that are only going to provide satisfaction that at the very best is momentary. But I will be living as a redeemed child of God, preparing for that eternal home that he is making for us. That is the perspective we are called to live with. And when we have that eternal perspective, it's so much easier to ignore the things that aren't important and to focus on that which is. And so take hold of, that, of the eternal life that you have made a good confession about. All right, we're up to number five, the last one. Starts in verse 13 and kind of carries on, but the real charge comes in verse 14 when it says, I charge you to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. And again, there's a lot of discussion here. Well, what is the commandment? Maybe it's the, the, the summary of the commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is the commandment. But more likely in this particular context, it's basically saying the same thing as the charge in verse 20 to guard the deposit entrusted to you. It's the message of this whole book, that as we recognize the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for me, that I am to let that gospel message change who I am. That I'm called to pursue this godly life, a life of character, a life in obedience to the God who has blessed me with this gift of grace. And I'm called to persevere against all of the struggles in this world and the chaos that surrounds me and to live this faith out. Not to repeat too much, but for the three of you, this is, this is a start. We hope and pray that there's a long journey ahead of you of many years where you live out the promises that you just made. But I hope and pray that you'll often go back to what those commitments were. What did I say yes to? And in reminding yourself of those promises that, again, it'll motivate you to live in light of that truth for the years that lay ahead. And that's where I go back to verse 6. After criticizing those that saw godliness as a means toward financial gain, the text says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And that's an important reminder to end with. 
That while this pursuit is not going to give us riches or finances or bless us with what the world calls a good life, we know in Jesus Christ the best life possible. Because of what he has done, we can be content and confident no matter what comes our way in this hectic world, knowing that God is always there. And that will give us the strength to flee the wrong and pursue the good, to fight the fight of faith, where we can live with an eternal perspective and we can stand against the temptations that come our way so that the legacy of faith can be passed on to those, to the next generation of believers. And all of that is gain. What a good word of encouragement to the three of you this morning as you start this journey with us. What a good reminder to all of us as we see the commitments they have made and remember the commitments we've made in the past and think about things that are going well and maybe some renewed adjustments that need to be made in our dedication to live out the gospel. And I think that's especially true as this week we enter into that season of Lent with this Wednesday being Ash Wednesday. The encouragement to take this season to remember and to focus on the great gift of what is given us in Jesus Christ, and to think, now, how is, is that calling us to live in response to the gospel? Well, as we seek to do that together, let's approach our God with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, all of these challenges start with you and what you have done for us. We recognize that in our desires and in following after our own wills and our own wants, we have, and so often do, make ruin of our lives. And we have been left with no hope. But because of Jesus Christ, because of his sacrifice on the cross, when we turn to him in faith, we can know forgiveness. We can know uh, direction and purpose in this life. And we can know the promise of eternal life with you. Lord, in light of what you have done for us, I prayed for a renewed desire for all of us to take up that desire to flee from what is wrong, to pursue what is good, focusing our time and energy there, of living with an eternal perspective, of fighting the fight of faith against those that would stand in contradiction to your word and your will and your way. And then living in such a way where we obey all that you have asked of us and pass on this truth to the next generation. Lord, we are your children. We are your servants. Titles we do not deserve, but in light of what you have done for us, may we live for you. This we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.